feel like today was a good combo of a really good plan, you know, get together with Pete Walker and Kirk before the game and we went through each hitter, something that I normally do, but had a really good plan against each guy and went out and executed and, um, you know, was able to get ahead, get strike two a lot or even get, um, you know, a lot of early outs there and, and balls in play and able to stay efficient and get us back in the dugout and then uh, put up some runs against a really good pitcher and Wheeler and, and get a win on, you know, it's been kind of a crazy day. Yeah, kind of a crazy day. And then Ross Stripling went out there last night, Kevin, and it was like, huh? I was thinking about this around the uh, second inning of the game. And um, in a lot of ways, given what went on yesterday with the firing of Charlie Montoyo and the uh, hiring of John Schneider on an an interim basis, and of course all the media furor that kind of creates, in some ways Ross Stripling was kind of the perfect guy to go out there. You know, low-key, efficient, get the job done, no drama. I'm not belittling what he did. He pitched pretty well. But it was was almost as if Ross Stripling, it's almost like he was cut out of central casting for that role. And a day when all this stuff was going on, here comes kind of old, boring Ross Stripling to just settle things down, work through the... Phillies lineup. Um, for, for, it, it, for, for me, he was for for me he was very, he was very much a man of the moment. For, for me, it just tells you that there's different parts of a, of an organization. There's the players' part, which you know is is everyday business that you go and you try and do your job to the best of your ability and don't worry about what's going on wherever else it's going on. And, and I, that for me is what I took away from that. You could just tell. I, you know, it's it's a it's a business. Like sometimes guys get fired, it's sad. You know, hopefully they move on and they find better careers. And and I'm sure Charlie will. It it's just it, that's what I took away from that is you know the players have their business, the front office has their business. It's it's sort of separated there. They take care of what they have to take care of, and the player goes out and takes takes care of what they have to take care of. I, I, my question would be if they didn't have Ross Stripling, where where would they be? I mean, I, starting the season, did you think Ross would, would matter this much? No. Like the adjustments no. that he's made, the confidence that he has, uh, the ability to, to throw the kitchen sink. He mentioned the getting ahead. Faced 24 batters through 19 strike yeah. ones. And he did it with all his pitches. Yep. Four-seamer slider, knuckleball, knuckle curve, and a changeup. He did it with all of them. He, th- he averaged about 11 and a half pitches per inning. Mm-hmm. Like he's very efficient. He, he has command in all those pitches. Uh, his changeup's a weapon. Uh, he can steal strikes with the with the knuckle curve. Like that's a that's a nice pitch for him. I know he gave up the the two run homer against the lefty, but he just and then he came back the next hitter and threw the very same pitch to the to the the first pitch of that at bat. Like he has just so much confidence. And Kirk did a really good job behind the plate. You could tell there was a good flow there. Mm-hmm. There was he the way he would set up, where he would set up, how much he would set up on the plate. You know the sequencing of the pitches. He wasn't shaking off a ton. He's just a really good pitcher right now, and he's a lot of fun to watch. I know it's real easy to say a guy's a lot of fun to watch, but when you you noticed him when he was in Buffalo and he was complaining about the wind and, you know, he was tipping his pitches, he would move his hand above his bill of his cap and he was giving away something, to what he looks like now. Just you, you give him a lot of credit, and, you know, I hate to, I mean, people get tired of hearing it, but you give Pete Walker a lot of credit. Like, there's you, you basically had to break a guy down, have a guy buy into it, and actually have the guy go out and perform at the highest level. It's not the easiest thing yeah, to do. It and wasn't they, like, and both sides are doing it at the, at the 
just yeah. the the best they could possibly do it yeah, right they, now. They didn't they didn't send them they didn't have the opportunity to send them down to the miners and say work on this you know at the pitching lab or something like that. They did it they on did the fly on the fly mm-hmm. in the major leagues. Uh, the uh, Jays beat the Phillies eight two last night. They swept the two game series. There will be a team at the Rogers Center tonight wearing the Kansas City <laughs> Royals jersey. You think uh, they're looking for players? I'm surprised I can, I you. I think I can still surprised, play. I'm surprised you weren't. You didn't call. I'm surprised. I mean, how much you make a day in the big leagues? Now probably about eight thousand bucks. I don't know. Huh. Anyhow, the Royals don't have. Uh, will be in town for four games. They don't have Andrew Benintendi, Whit Merrifield, MJ Melendez, Hunter Dozier, Brad Keller, Brady Singer, Michael Taylor, <laughs> Kyle Isbell, Dylan Coleman, and Cam Gallagher. Uh, all members of the anti. I mean that helps. That, <clears throat> that helps the Blue Jays because that's some of their better players. But I will still, tell you, it's this, still though. Kansas City. You should still take three out of four or four out of four. But I will tell you this, and this is no th- excuses. There's, there's nothing. There's nothing the Blue Jays can do about this. But my God, if I'm Tampa or Boston, and I'm looking at Kansas City basically bringing the Omaha Royals in, I again, there's nothing anybody can do about it. The rules are the rules. But this is. You know, the focus, I think, in this city when it came to players and vaccinations was, okay, the impact it was going to have on the Rays, the impact it was going to have on the Red Sox. But this is kind of the other side of it, too. You know, even if it's a bad team that comes in, these are games, if the Jays win these games, it's it's conceivable. It's conceivable it could come down to one or two games at the end of the season, given the way this thing is going. You're a professional athlete. You play and professional baseball. This is part of what you do. Sometimes I, I, you don't have another job. You, no. This is what you do for a living. And you're, but I'm just if you saying, have to get a, a shot for COVID, it's I'm, your job. I know, but I'm just saying this is kind of the, up until now, it's been an issue, but it's been less of an issue than it is now because now you are going to see it possibly have an impact on, uh, you know, possibly have an impact on, on the standings. And, you know, it just kind of reinforces the whole, you know, the whole issue here, even if you're a team like Tampa Bay, which is largely vaxxed guys, you may end up getting screwed by the fact that one of the teams coming into play Toronto has got a lot of unvaxxed players. Anyhow, that's uh, we can worry about that down the road. Kevin Gossman makes a start tonight for the Blue Jays. We want to talk about last night's game, the first game for John Schneider as uh, interim manager. And, and I think it's safe to say, Kevin, based on kind of the poking around you did yesterday. I, this organization is going to give John Schneider every chance to win this job, to turn this into a full-time so. gig. I really get the sense. The timing of this, you're, you're, you're setting, setting John Schneider up in that not a good team coming in. You got the all-star break. Uh, you you give, give everybody a chance to kind of get over the initial shock if there is a shock, and I don't, I'm not certain there is. And then move on, and um, I'm on record to saying he should have been the manager to start. Yes, you did. That's you said that. I, for a I while. just thought the fit was was there. The, uh, he should have been the guy, but he wasn't. And now you you move on and you you try and win as many games as possible. And I do know you could just tell. It seemed like I hate to say it this way because well, again, we're not in the clubhouse, but it just looked like there was a little bit different feel to it. Now, obviously, you're only as good as the starting your starting pitcher on the mound looks, and <laughs> Ross Stripling made them look really really good. But I just, you know, again, it's like sometimes you need a leader 
to sort of get you all headed in the right direction. And and the third inning, facing Zach Wheeler, who's had a couple of good starts in a row, and he's going to be tough to string together hits back-to-back, right? So it's going to be tough to score runs. And for John to even to put on a, a hit-and-run Chapman walk, Espinal comes up and, was and that puts a, on the 1-0 hit-and-run. Was hit that second run. one a hit-and-run? Or was, oh, that's, that's two strikes. I mean, that's he, he, right. put, he put Lourdes in, in, in motion. But it's not, hit, how do you hit-and-run with two strikes? Yeah. I mean – yeah. I, so I wouldn't think that was the case. It may have looked that way, but it was two strikes. But you put Lourdes in motion. Yeah. Like you want to put pressure on a defense that's not always great. Saw Phillies Bo, don't, the Phillies saw don't Bo have a great steal defense. A saw Bo steal a base yesterday. That they There was movement. Yes. <clears throat> like you weren't going to sit back and wait for a three-run homer. Now, you got a couple of homers, right? You got a couple from Teoscar. And Vladdy hit one. It was out in front. That's just what Vladdy like, that That'll tell you how special Vladdy is that can do things like that. I, for me, I say just look quieter. Look like he had a better approach. It's okay to to take strikes. I really do think that's okay. He took a couple of sliders that were a little off the plate that normally he swings at. He's been swinging at that all year. Just looked like to me he was a little quieter with his lower half. It was more of a glide into it. it wasn't a stab into it. Like he wasn't in a hurry to get the bat over with. And it was okay to take a strike. It was okay to take two strikes because those are a couple of pitches that you can't do damage on. And even the sack fly that he got, that was a good at bat. Like that was even it was an 0-2 pitch that he got a little elevated fastball. You got something up, you could get it in the air. That's a let's that's a professional at bat. Now let's talk about Zach Wheeler too. This is a guy who had given up 30 runs all year coming into this game. He gave up 600 runs yesterday. That's how many earned runs he gave up in the entire month of May. He is one of the best pitchers in the game. He's one of the most dominant pitchers in the game. In addition. To the offense. Yeah, a couple of, I mean, that that 15 pitch at bat, and I know if Josh Donaldson was listening, he'd be walk over and slap me in the face for saying this because. Well, that's different Josh, when you face elite pitching. But yeah, though. Josh's different. line was always, you know, we talk about it, right? The 15 pitch at bat doesn't do me any good if I fouled off the one real hittable pitch. But the point is, the 15 pitch at bat with with Santiago Espinal um, in, the, in, in, in the third inning, sorry, fourth inning, they had a lot of good at bats. They looked, they looked really comfortable against that. They were Wheeler tough outs. Well, when when yes. we when have we came on this show and said that that lineup was tough outs, like yeah. one one through nine, was giving it to you. George Spring was fouling those two seamers off mm-hmm. his legs, both of them. Like he was, they weren't giving in. They were competing. You know, from the first pitch to the last pitch, and and Santiago Espinal had a 15 pitch at bat. Like Lourdes was having good at bats. Matt yeah. Chapman had a couple of good at bats. Tapia, who I like to see play, I just like to watch him play. I I know he's not an aircraft carrier, and he's not going to help carry your team. He's not going to hurt your team. He puts I, when he gets on base, he puts pressure on the pitcher and the catcher to do different things and go out of their comfort zone. And that's sort of what you want on a, on a good team is you want chaos. There's a little and bit of sort un- of creates a little bit a of little that. bit of uncertainty. Absolutely. Whenever Rymel top you. I I'm with you. I I listen, I uh, from the moment they made that acquisition, uh I see Rymel Tapia winning games for this team and some he's already won games. He speed has won easier. at least two games he for this team. He makes it easier for me to fill the Bradley Zimmer spot way yep. easier. Yep. I'm okay with Tapia playing center. I'm okay with that. I don't care. The the, the defense it's going to take care of itself. If I if late in the game and I need to put Toppy in center and put George Springer in right field, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I mean, I'm not. I wouldn't it's get about it. winning now. It's about putting your best offensive team on the field. Zimmer, the only reason he is here is he, late in games, yeah. putting George over there in close games. No, I wouldn't. But I'm, if you have to take away that spot and bring in whatever other spot you need to feel with, 
I'm okay with top you playing a little bit more outfield. Yeah, I don't want to really uh I don't you know, yeah, I'm not interested in really having an argument about that. Not going to hurt your team. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, to to me he's a perfect he's a perfect piece in this team. And even if you even if you go out and get another left-handed batter an impact impactful left-handed bat, I still love having Tapia over there. And and yeah, I look, I understand I'll look at the weaknesses in his his approach, the weaknesses in his game offensively. There sometimes there are guys that just do things. And Tapia's a guy, Tapia for me is a guy who can do things. You mentioned Teoscar Hernandez, two mm-hmm. home runs. Uh, Vladdy had a home run last night as well. Um, it's rare we give Teoscar uh, love because he hasn't had a, a real good year. And he's sometimes baseball IQ and, and you know, <laughs> things just around him is not always the best of looks. But I'll, I'll be honest with you, when his upper half is not following the little knee turn, that he has. You know, he simplified a lot of things with his swing because he's a big finish guy. Big finish guys have to have a quiet lower half. It has to be simple. It has to be repeatable. And when he was lifting his leg, it was very hard for everything to catch up so he could get big finish, right? He mm-hmm. wants to create loft with his barrel. And the way you do that is get the barrel above the head. And that means you have to have a better lower half. And when his lower half and upper half are separated. And what I mean by that is you can see him do his little knee turn, and his shoulders are not turning with his knee, which basically eliminates both of his eyes, and now he's playing catch-up, and you see a lot of, you know, weird off swings, and he'll hit the little check swing that he hits the right field. Everything with the upper half doesn't have direction towards the target and where he wants his ball to go, which is right center. I mean, he's got old, he's got grown man pop. Mm-hmm. So for him to be able to keep the shoulder square and finish towards his target by his upper half not following the little knee turn, what I mean by that is his lower half is turning, his upper half stays where it's supposed to stay. So that way, that's his little trigger. I talk about triggers all the time. He uses that as his trigger, so that allows him to have good direction and be able to get to his finish. And I said this to you before before we went on the show because we have talked about who do you give up to get what you want? Say Oscar has four four really good games. It's four homers. Change your mind? Uh, no. If 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 I have to move anybody off this roster to get a pitcher, and and when I say to get a pitcher, I'm talking about getting a Luis Castillo or uh, or a Pablo Lopez. Not not just. I'm, I'm not talking about just getting a guy who might be your fifth starter and have bulk innings. No, I'm talking about getting a guy who goes into your rotation right away or or a premier, premier, high leverage, high velocity reliever. Uh, if I have to move somebody off this roster to do it, and especially if I have to move a little money to bring in a little money, he's the obvious guy for me. I, I've said all year I'd, I do not trade Lourdes Gurriel Jr. I am convinced that we haven't seen his ceiling yet. We may be seeing it now. I like what he gives me in left field. I like the arm. I, I know arms in left field aren't always a thing, but I like the arm that he has in left field. But, yeah, I, I would uh, I, I would have no hesitation moving, moving to Oscar. I think I can make up that offense someplace, especially if Alejandro Kirk continues to play to play the way he's played. That's that's just a no-brainer to me. He is the and and plus he's another year away from from free agency. 
Uh, they haven't signed him to a long-term contract. He is the most disposable player in this team. You know, and depending on how much stock you put into some of the things, some of the suggestions that have come out of the clubhouse in the last week about, well, you know, we Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic has uh, a terrific article today and uh, talking to giving a couple of players anonymity, which is fine when you're a reporter who's been around as long as she has and has that credibility. It's fine to give, at least in my mind, it's fine to give, uh, to use anonymous sources. Um, there's some pretty pointed comments in that, in, in her column about things just weren't right in the clubhouse. I don't know. Ross Atkins said he didn't think Charlie lost the clubhouse. I think Charlie lost the clubhouse. I, those are strong words. Anyway. Those are nah, strong words. They're, 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 let's put it, there were a lot of people in the clubhouse who were waiting to see, they were waiting to see something from Charlie. And Charlie wasn't able to exercise change. He wasn't able to affect change. So, sounds, sounds to me like we, we talk about all the time what, what, what is a manager's role in 2022. And it just sounds to me like you got to have, obviously you got to have a manager who can act 26 different ways. And just seems to me like Charlie, for whatever reason, wasn't relating to certain guys on that team. I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. But for whatever reason, just seems to me like, again, it's very hard for us to have conversations about this. And sometimes you, you make you a little uncomfortable having conversations because we're not in the room. But it just sounds like the, the, the way a manager is supposed to have 26 different conversations. Like you're, you're treating every single guy differently. Right. And for you to be able to hold every single guy accountable for whatever they're going through. And it just seems like when you didn't or Charlie didn't, that would tick off or, you know, get other teammates chapped about certain different things just because that relationship and being able to relate to two different kinds of players. I've, he I, was, he wasn't having a good time with it. I have covered, I made a list <clears throat> yesterday. I've covered one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've covered nine different managerial firings, including Gibby twice. Um, the teams that I've, teams that I've, I've spent time around and there other than when Tom Runnels was fired by the Montreal Expos and replaced by Felipe Alou, I haven't seen a firing be greeted with as much sort of benign shoulder shrugging like this one was. I've never seen players turn turn the page on a manager other than the Tom Runnels situation mm-hmm. in Montreal as fast as the Jays did on Charlie yesterday. I've got to read you this, and, and I know we'll, we, we want, I want to deal with this a little later in the quote, and we're going to play some clips from John Schneider and from, and from Ross Atkins from their media availabilities yesterday. But I want to read you this quote in Shai Davidi's article. This, to me, is the quote, the only quote, you need to think about when it comes to what happened yesterday. It's from Bo Bichette. Quote, I think we need something to send us in the right direction. This is not my area to worry about. We'll come to the field ready to play as hard as we can. Here's the nut. The front office has made their decision on what they thought was necessary. I don't disagree. Think about that. Bo Bichette, 
has just told you, if, if there's any doubt out there, that in his mind, the front office made the right decision in firing mm-hmm. Trey. Whatever the reason. Mm-hmm. Whatever the reason. Mm-hmm. You got one of your core guys saying publicly, and, and a guy who is, this is a smart kid. Like, you know, we have a lot of respect for Bo. Mm-hmm. And, and Bo's not, Bo doesn't need to hear himself speak. Bo doesn't need to see his quotes out there. That's no. not the way he's wired. He has just told you that he doesn't disagree with the decision the front office made. That it was time for Charlie to go. That's basically what he said. I, I, I get back to what I said a couple of minutes ago. And it's, it's no disrespect to Charlie. Um, and as you pointed out so well yesterday, you've spent time around the game a long time covering it. You have a lot of respect for guys who put the hard yards in. Mm-hmm. Guys like you who played the game and put the hard yards in have even more respect for a guy like Charlie. Sure. Because you've all ridden the buses and you've all done the mm-hmm. crap jobs and you've had the, you know. The, Not made any money. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, but all that aside, this really does seem to me to be a move that, um, that, that it just. Everybody seems seemed like, to, seemed like the right everybody time. was on board. Oh, okay, okay. With everybody that, with that, with that being with said, no more excuses. Like now, now it seems like that that everybody is on board with John Snyder. Seems like they're at least the optics of the whole thing. You watched the game last night. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like John was pulling all the right strings. They were having fun. Jordan Armando was doing the little thing Finger or whatever that. that thing is he's mm-hmm. doing. Like they seemed like it was raring and ready to go. Now there's no excuses. Now you go out there, you play the game the right way, you hustle. You know, if a team beats you. That's just because they were better than you, not because you were making mistakes and not competing at the plate, not making the plays you were supposed to make and not running into outs that you weren't supposed to be running into. No excuses now. Like, that's that's sort of what this is. When you're firing a manager that yesterday it was in a playoff spot, and now you sounds like you got the guy, at least the guy in the room, that's the only matter. That's the only thing that matters is you think that room thinks that they finally got the right guy. Now it's about everybody doing their part and doing the right thing and playing the game the right way. And I don't, you know, there are no more excuses about it. It's American League East and there's tough road trips. I, okay, fine and dandy. Like you, now it's, yeah, everybody doing the right thing. And and yesterday seemed like it was a step in the right direction. Vladdy seemed like he was having, if he can compete and do that, Teoscar can mechanically be sound enough. If the bottom of the order, can have the at-bats at the bottom of the order against a really good pitcher had yesterday. Zach Wheeler's ball is moving all over the place. Like, it was moving even all yesterday when over they, the even place. Even yesterday when they were putting those good oh, at-bats man. there. Oh, man. You were, like, you were working to extend those at-bats. You could see George Springer yeah. going, uncle, <laughs> stop yeah. throwing it in there. Yeah. So they were having those kind of at-bats. So hopefully that gives them enough confidence. And hopefully the starting pitching, Kevin Gosman can come back and start doing his thing again, gain some confidence going in the all-star break. So they hit the ground running. Schedule gets back to being the schedule after the all-star break. So for me, there's no more excuses. Like it's and and Ross let's put the positive spotlight on himself now. You fire your manager that you brought here. He's your choice. Now it's up to you to go out and there's uh there's no question of what you need. Like it's no question. there's not, well, would it would this help? <laughs> There's no question, no. Jeff. It's not even a – you don't even have to go up to anybody and ask, do you think this is the right move? No, you know what you need. At this time of year, <laughs> at this time of year, you see a lot of baseball writers putting together their lists of team needs, like 
a lot of the national writers, I guarantee you, because I've been there, I guarantee you, the the Jays are the first team they write down because you because you don't have to do a lot of deep diving no. to know what's wrong with this team. Absolutely, I mean, you just don't. And and it's not just well, everybody needs more pitching. No, the Jays need more pitching. You know, what I mean, it's like mm-hmm. you can never have too much pitching. The Jays really need to be in a position where they can have too much pitching because right now they just they just don't have enough of it. You're right. The spotlight is is very sure. much it's very much on on Ross. Dan Schulman will join us at eleven o'clock. Jeff Passan at eleven thirty. He broke the story yesterday about the Kansas City Royals, forty uh, percent of their roster not being vaccinated. And uh, boy, I mean, you know, Michael Taylor. These are guys. Michael Taylor, Andrew Benintendi, a lot Whit, of names. Whit Merrifield. Not only are they guys who are everyday players for that team, those are guys that a lot of teams in baseball would probably be thinking about trading for. And if I'm a team in the AL East, I'm going right now, wait a minute, Andrew Benintendi, I'm going to trade for him. I got a playoff game in Toronto, and dude might not be available. Especially what you would have to give up to get him. And in a playoff, my understanding in a playoff situation is, you know, you can make an emergency replacement on the roster because of injuries. Playoffs, unvaxxed guys, my understanding is that's play. you're going to play with a – with an empty spot. So you've really got to think about that. If you're not, who knows? Maybe Andrew Benintendi joins the Boston Red Sox and gets a jab. It's possible, right? Alex Cora Cora told reporters two weeks ago, hey, the next time we're in Toronto, everybody's, everybody's on the team. He, he, so you know that Tanner Houck and those guys, they caught enough heat for getting Boston fans and the media. Yeah. Yeah. So anyhow, we can, uh, we'll, we'll deal with that with passing. Uh, he was all over the story. Uh, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to uh, play some clips from Ross Atkins' media availability. We'll sort of attempt to parse the words. Got some stuff from John Schneider as well, something I found really interesting last night uh, from John Schneider because it almost sounded like something Rob Rob Thompson uh, told us when the Philadelphia Phillies manager when when we talked to him a couple of days ago as well. So it's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. The smartest takes on the biggest stories in sports. The Fan Drive Time with Ben Ennis and Stephen Brunt. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. couple of tickets to see the Detroit Tigers at the Rogers Center on July 28th. This is a tremendous trivia question. Whoever comes up with these rebounded after this has, has come back smartly after the uh, after the uh, that Tim MacArthur that that abomination of a, of, a, of a trivia question. Well, maybe they were trying to give away tickets. Could be. This one's a little tougher. We'll we'll uh, well, you'll just have to hang around till the 11 o'clock hour if you want to win free tickets. That's just. The way we do things around here. Uh, the Blue Jays won 8-2 yesterday. The John Schneider era off to a resounding start. Um, Schneider got a really good, uh, got, a, got a really nice round of applause um, at the ballpark when, in, you know, his, when he, when he brought out the lineup and his, and the Jays, the Jays lineup was announced. And uh, going back to the dugout as well, a lot of people were standing behind the dugout and around the dugout as well. So, um, you know, which is apropos of nothing other than the fact that I think a whole bunch of people thought it was time for that move to be made. And, um, mm. you know. If, I hope it works. Yeah, I do too. I, I do, do too. too. John's a good man. I do Coaching too. staff is all good men. They work hard. You know, that's, 
Well, right, it's said, right in front of him now. As you said, the focus is on um, the focus is now on the focus is on Ross Atkins, where it should have been all along. To be honest, that's, and the players, that's my opinion, and the players, and the players, and the players, and the players. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Shulman, Jeff Passan, join us later on in the show. Barker's back leg bits DMs are now open. So, of course, yesterday, uh, both John Schneider and Ross Atkins did media availabilities before the game. And, and you know, people will be familiar with John Schneider. Uh, watching the games on TV, he was very present alongside Charlie Montoyo as well as, as, well as Pete Walker. Uh, John Schneider, really, his role in this organization is just kind of growing and growing and growing. He was sort of... I would say in some ways he, he might have been the bench coach even when he wasn't the bench coach. He's He had a lot of say in, in a lot of the decisions that uh, that were going on in that coaching staff. He's been with the organization for more than two decades. He was a catcher. Uh, he had the the uh, tremendous honor of being a teammate of Kevin Barker's uh, in the minor leagues. And, of course, you you do know a bit of his background, managed all the way up through the, through the Jays system and won along the way. He's won a couple of championships with Bo, Vladdy, Lourdes, and uh, and and I'd forgotten that Lourdes was part of that group, Kevin Biggio as well. So he is absolutely, quite frankly, he is he is more well known to the core of this Blue Jays team than Charlie Montoyo was. Guys have spent more time with him, around him. Guys have come up with him. John Schneider was asked yesterday uh, about you know his path to the majors and how. Does he think his success in the minor leagues can translate into being a successful major league manager? Lance, can you play John's John's answer? John, when you go back to your early days as a manager in the minor leagues, how have you changed, and how would you describe your own style right now? Changed? I think you're a little more patient. You know, I think in the in the minor leagues, you know, it's um, you know you want to be as hard and and as firm with the players as you can uh, my style probably won't change that much from a tactical standpoint um, i like being aggressive i like having fun I, I always think that when the guys are comfortable uh, that's the best version of of the player you're going to get um, but over the years i think you just get to be a little bit more patient you get to be a little bit more um, empathetic with the stuff the guys are going through uh, but you know my overall style i don't think is going to change yeah, and I think a lot of people look at John Schneider, big dude, former catcher, and I think a lot of people thought, boy, this guy's going to come in and he's going to like he, that he's going to he's going to be slamming guys against the club uh, against the wall, and there's going to be no home run jacket. I asked him about the home run jacket yesterday, and he said, "Well, just wait and see." Um, you know, I, I I think people just there's a lot of hatred for the jacket. Yeah, there's way there's too a much lot hatred. Of hatred. I mean, wait, it's just like the jacket's fault. It, it is the jackets. Well, poor old jackets. Just all they're oh, doing man. is just. I was just in the back room someplace, and somebody stuck a bunch of stuff here, on me. And here, now Charlie, everybody here, Charlie. Can you take the jacket? Anyhow, the. Uh, but but the point is, and and you got this from from talking to players, and I think Kevin Biggio gave Jamie Jamie Campbell an interesting line about John. One of John's strengths is being able to deliver a tough message, in a way that gets through to you mm-hmm. um and so so I, he's also smart enough i think to realize that you don't come in and immediately throw the rule book out uh, change the lineup i think john schneider has got some i know he's got some definite ideas about how things will look 
they may not always be in the same page as the, as the front office when it comes to the lineup. Sure. He's got some ideas, but I think you're you're going to see him sort of gradually bring his bring his his plans into place. I do know for a fact he is a big fan of Vladdy hitting second. Yes, he I, is. I do know that's a, and and he can act like a big man. I, I've seen him. I've been in a locker room with him. I, I've seen him struggle at the plate and and not do things offensively that he wants to do. And he can act and and show his. Toughness. Yeah. So he's got a little of that in it. It just seems to me like that team needs it. I I haven't been around a ton of teams that need that. Like, you know, that policing yourself and being an individual and knowing what, you know, a big leaguer is supposed to be like and act like and, and on the field between the lines, what you're supposed to look and, and act like, even though you're not doing well, you're, you're supposed to look a certain way. But I just think for me that they need a obvious guy that says, hey, it's not the way we do things. And occasionally, if you bench a guy, say it out loud. Well, that, I think there's a little something to that, too, where John's going to do that. Yeah, the, the, listen, that, that whole thing. The whole thing with Teoscar Hernandez when he was benched. When Teoscar, oh, I'm just going to say, Teoscar was telling people I, I've been benched. I, 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 he was telling people I've been benched. And... Charlie basically said no. He's not. He's not been benched. Now, if if you're going to bench a guy, you're you're you are quote unquote trying to send a message to him, and maybe the message has gotten through because the player knows that he's benched, and I'm sure everybody in the clubhouse knows that he's benched. But if you you know to do it to maximum effectiveness, I know people are sitting there saying, "Boy, you guys are really being picky here." Yeah, there is a way you do something. There is a way you do something. Yeah, you can't do it all the time because you'll lose your you team. Can't, and you can't do it all the time. It's effect, but. Occasionally, when a guy a, continues to do Mark, the same thing, this was a, a slam dunk for a manager. If you wanted to pick a guy to set an example of, it's Tay Oscar because he's popular, because he's he had a good year last year, and he's you know he's not an ass. He's a he's a he's a he's a he's a, he's a good dude, um, but he plays with his head up his ass at times, and the perfect guy to bench. It's a, uh, sla- it's, a, per- it's a slam. It's a slam. Guy, it is a slam dunk. It's a slam dunk as well, a manager because everybody's going well. Okay, I can kind of see why he's doing it. You know, if he decides that I got to bench Bo because I didn't like a throw Bo made a couple of days ago, people are going to go, oh, Jesus. But if you bench Tay Oscar, people will go, okay, yeah. I mean, he had a couple of those dumb Charlie base running Char- plays. Char- Charlie's first thought is to protect the player. Yeah, Charlie Don't was come listen, out loud and say why you did Charlie something. was true to himself. Absolutely. That's the way I mean, Charlie that's the way Charlie was. I mean that's Charlie. That's that's they they that's, knew that coming in that this is what Charlie brought and you know again this maybe just not working for this team. Maybe this team occasionally needs to be told this is not the Blue Jay way. This yeah. is not the way you do it here. And I do think they respect John enough to know that if you do it don't do it. Yeah and and because people will know you did it. And look it's pretty clear that that it's pretty clear that that clubhouse, that Ross, and, you know, Ross does not operate in a vacuum. Ross has got people in the clubhouse who are talking to him. Every every general manager's got guys. Jesus, I mean, I can't say it any. It's not like they're spies, but every general manager's got guys. Every clubhouse, every team I've covered, there's been one or two guys where the players know that, hey, that's general manager's guy. And you know what? If I was a GM of a team, I'd have my guy in the clubhouse too. Mm. So th- this idea, you know, Ross is – didn't operate in a vacuum. I'm sure he got the sense that the clubhouse was just was in a state of I don't know. I don't even know how you describe it. Turmoil. We're we're not in there to say turmoil. Something wasn't right in the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. And I think you know. I look at 
when Charlie was brought over here from Tampa Bay and the idea was you were bringing a development guy in. You were bringing a guy who was going to help get these young guys into the game. One of the things Tampa does really well, and Kevin Cash talks about this, is going back to the when they sort of formed the core of that team that went to the World Series. Kevin said, we're, Cash said, we're kind of in a, in a unique situation here because we're never going to have a big payroll. We're never going to have a ton of free agents. So I've got to get these young guys to play well, but also get them... They have no they have no choice. They've got to police and control the clubhouse because that's all we got. We got Kevin Kiermaier and a bunch of young guys. And I think the thinking with the Jays is, okay, Charlie's seen that happen. Now, you bring him over here, he kind of lets these young guys find their, their footing, et cetera, et cetera. I think John is going to continue that process, but I think there might be a little more guidance in terms of how things are done. And... It, Ben Wagner made a terrific point during the during the broadcast last night, and I mentioned this in Blue Jays talk. And again, Ben Ben spends a lot of time around around the team. I think you were going to see a couple of people, a couple of players, really kind of emerge from this. I think there there are some players who were probably showed up at the ballpark yesterday, much happier and a little more prepared to step up than before. I, I that's, it just sounds to me when I listen to you talk there. Don't ever think it. Like, your best players, the obvious thing right up front for the Blue Jays are they need better quality stuff to go to late in games, and they need their best players to be their best players. You've you've said this all year. Alejandro Kirk can't be their best hitter. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has to be their best hitter and when for them to go where they want to go. And yeah. right now, up until this point, he hasn't been that. Now, last night, for me anyway... From what I saw, the pitches he was taking, that's a good step in the right direction because all the things he can do with the barrel, he can do it better than most human beings that walk earth. Now it's about what you swing at. I just think, I hope they don't overthink it. No, it's not. That's me. No, it's not a matter of overthinking, Kevin. It's, you know, because this has to happen. This has to kind of happen on its own. It it has to happen. I hate the word organically. Everything. It will. Yeah, but you know what? It, winning will cure everything. But what we saw from this team was that winning alone isn't enough because it doesn't, even when this team was having a little bit of success this year, it didn't take much for it to go south. Right? You know, and that's... That's because uh, they're, they're, they're best, their best players got off to bad starts. And you know as well as anybody, you've been in rooms with alpha males. What? They're not happy people. Right. When they're going bad. And they got off to a bad start, and then it sort of trickles down to, um, you know, yep. bleeding into the season. Let's hear some of Ross Atkins' uh, comments from his availability yesterday. Um, his, his, his opening statement where he said, you know, he, he called this a collective setback. And I'll say this, Ross did, Ross certainly accepted his share of the blame. Um, he, he repeatedly, he repeatedly accepted his share of the blame. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he was asked the, about the timing of the decision and why now and not before the season. Now, keep in mind that the Jays extended Charlie in the offseason. This was Ross Ross Atkins' uh, answer to that particular question, Lance. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a very tricky thing to talk about the specifics of exactly why now. Uh, ultimately, we made the decision... Uh, in the last 24 hours with a lot of consideration. 
I mean, I, I listen, I, I think that I hope the decision wasn't made in the last, in, in the 24 hour period. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it wasn't either. No. I, 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 listen, I would be shocked. Between I the would, lines are... I would be shocked if the thought didn't start just woke up rumbling around. No, I, I, hours ago and... I can tell you, I think the, I think the topic, the conversation started during that Chicago Milwaukee road trip. I think that's when, that's when, that's when the idea that this, that you may not give Charlie till the end of the year started, started to take hold. And I, and I think, frankly, I, I think the Oakland series did, did him in as much as the Seattle series. Maybe I really do. I think the Oakland series was, was uh, coming out of there. To me, that was the series that uh, did him in. I'm not sure how you would do it in the off season. Didn't they win 91 games? Well, they won they 91 playing games. They were playing you, and how would you fire them you, in the you, off season? You, you came through the whole COVID thing. How would you do that? Um, no, and and, and really, to do and at that. the time we said this, Nobody you know, it, it wasn't that. like they gave Charlie a 14 year extension. No. They, basically, what they did is they removed, they made it impossible for us to say it was a lame duck season. They just basically they punted Charlie's there last year of his contract down the line. So I mean. Yeah, if, if they'd fired Charlie at the start of the year, I would have had a, way more questions because I'm going, first of all, and this is the thing we've got to talk about. It's not like Charlie was everybody's first choice. And this is, this is where I think Ross really has to wear this. Uh, if you think back to when they were looking for a manager, nobody listed Charlie Montoya as a candidate. Mm-hmm. Nobody. The Jays didn't know Charlie Montoya. I mean, they knew who he was. Obviously, the guy in the Rays dugout, longtime manager, da da da, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. He's at some point he interviewed with Ross and whoever else was in the process, and they liked what they heard, and they said, "Jesus, we we got to think about this guy." Mm-hmm. And whether or not Charlie was choice one, choice two, choice three, he's a guy who came out of the blue. And you know what happens when a manager comes out of the blue? That's the general manager thinking, okay. I, I got something here. That's a gut call. That was Ross's Lightning gut in a call. Bottle with that your was manager. Ross's gut call. And mm-hmm. it didn't work out. No. And that's why yesterday, you know, I know when general managers talk after they fire a manager, people roll their eyes and everything. But yesterday, Ross saw a bold move that he made, a an outside-of-the-box hiring that he made. He admitted it didn't work out. He admitted that his genius decision, and I'm not saying, but his outside-the-box decision and bringing Charlie in here didn't work out. Um, and that's not easy. To admit it? It's not easy to admit it. It's, e- it's easy to admit it. It's another thing to mean it. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got the sense Ross really, Ross really meant it. Um, he was asked uh, about, because he talked about how he still thought this was a good team, and he was asked, okay, fine, good team. Why isn't it being successful on the field? You mentioned good teams find ways to win. In what ways are you not seeing that team dynamic manifesting into success on the field? Yeah, I mean, listen, like it's a professional sports environment matters. Um, You know, the, the level of energy and positivity, all of that matters. Execution matters. Deployment matters. Um, it, it's not one thing, and that all comes back to me, and and ultimately I'm the most accountable for that not going well. Um, and there are, you know, it, as we proceed, we'll look to continue to improve upon that, and I will continue to look inward and how I can improve upon that. 
but ultimately, I felt this decision will help us take a step in that direction. I mean, I thought that was a pretty telling. I, I, I did the way he started the, the the way he started the answer by the environment matters and and players need to be happy. That's an odd way to start a an answer to a question that you would think the answer to that would be first and foremost the product on the field right now is not very good. But he chose to start it with environment matters and players need to be happy. Those are big words like that. That suggests that basically means your manager's way over there and your players are way over there. And there's a giant separation between the two of them. And it's been that way for a while. I just find that odd. Like that's a, because the obvious thing for fans and me and you that aren't in the room every day, every single day with, with the guys that are playing would think the obvious is the pitching. They're not hitting. Vladdy's not having the year we expected. Like the obvious things for, for him to start it the way he started it. That's a, those are big words. Like, that's, that's odd, right? No, I, I thought it was. That's the first thing that stuck out in my mind was he started with environment matters. It, Whoa. I have to keep in mind, too, that um, because of because of COVID-19 and because of sort of the way we've come out of COVID-19, the clubhouse was more off limits to people than it normally is. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, 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 clubhouse, the clubhouse vibe has changed. Mm-hmm. You, yeah, you couldn't, you know, the clubhouse Obviously. is open this year. But uh, we, and, and you know, when you're a beat reporter and you spend, you're in a clubhouse on a day-to-day basis, you know, back in the day, you'd spend two hours, two and a half hours in the clubhouse because you'd talk to guys and you'd interview guys and you'd do the manager's thing. And, you, I mean... Nowadays, there's never a player in the clubhouse. There's always the weight room or this room or that room or something else or some meeting or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, you spend half an hour in a clubhouse now, maybe you get one guy and you're gone. But you used to be able to get a real sense of, of, of the, the mood of the, the clubhouse, the dynamic of the clubhouse. It's, it's a little harder now. But that's it, it, suggests that there's, it suggests that there's an untold story here. Sure. It, and and I'm, I'm not saying it's like an evil story, but it suggests that there was something a little deeper than what than what me have, we may have thought. Um, a lot of people, a lot of you, we've talked about it in the show as well, some of the base running mistakes. Um, you know, that I mean, there's stuff that happened in that Seattle series, Vladdy's glove exploding, that's inexplicable in some ways. But there were a lot of other things that went on and a lot of other things that have gone on as this team kind of went through the spiral. And um, Ross was asked about whether or not he saw a lack of focus from the players. I haven't seen a lack of focus. I just met with the players, and that's one of the things that I uh, was easy for me to say how proud I am of them individually, uh, but felt that we could play better as a team. Uh, I, I haven't seen a lack of focus. There have been blips, sure, uh, but actually I see a really, really significant uh, level of preparation and a, little, a level of care. So, yeah, kind of a benign statement, but um, again, uh, and, I, and I, you know, I respectfully disagree. I think we have seen signs. I guess it depends on what your definition of lack of focus is. Sometimes baseball is baseball. <laughs> Bad stuff happens. <laughs> Weird stuff it's happens. Been, it's been my experience because of the clubhouses that I've been in. You, you, you learn a lot about a player when they're going bad. Every, everybody can be a great teammate and a great yeah. 
friend and a and you know a, a, everybody in, from the media wants to walk up and stick a microphone in your face because he's ten for his last fifteen and he's doing all these things. But you find out what kind of player that person is when it's going bad, and maybe that's what they're going through. Let's uh, Lance. Let's play the uh, Shai Davidi's question and uh, Charlie's answer as well. <clears throat> Pardon me. This is about. This is my fault because I wanted to get to this earlier and I just had a brain fart. But this this kind of addresses extending Charlie back in spring training. Back in spring training, you ended up extending Charlie through 23 with the two club options. And at that point, what was the evaluation? How did that evolve so much that you got to this point three and a half months later? I, I would say all the things that I've said again, um, I really wanted this to work as evidenced by that decision. And, uh, you know, we continued to work together to uh, think about how we could collectively improve the team, collectively improve our performance and our outcomes, um, but ended up making the decision we made today. And that gets back to why extend, uh, why extend Charlie in the off season. Um, we wrap this up before we bring Dan Shulman on. I'll ask Dan Shulman this question as well. There are a lot of there are a lot of managers out there. There's uh, Joe Madden, Joe Girardi, Mike Sosha's out there. Um, I'm sure there are other guys that I haven't that I that I haven't thought of. We know that Bud Black is very tight with uh, with with the people in this organization. Uh, he's managing Colorado. Colorado's going to Colorado. At some point, Bud Black is going to leave Colorado because it just, I mean, there's nothing going on there. Um, and this would be a pretty intriguing position to come to. Mm. Um, are, like me, do you think that that this, that this there is a way where John Schneider takes the interim tag off him? Well, if you're, if you're, just into a if you're Ross job? and you're sitting in an office by yourself, you're sure hoping so. But, because that means the moves that you're about to make hopefully, are working out and you're going where you want to go. Now, again, it's a lot of luck once you get in the playoffs. But if they can make a decent run, don't don't have to go to the ALCS or even go to the World Series, but to compete and be legit in it, like be tough, like, you know, people don't want to play them. Yeah. If they look and, and act like that and play like a baseball team that's contending in the American League East is supposed to look, how can you get rid of John? Like, I would think they would they would go about their attitude that way then going, he's just here till the end of the season, and then we're going to go on a hunt. I think it'd be easier to look at it the other way, wouldn't it? I And I, I think the other thing to keep an eye on here, too, is Casey Kandel coming in as bench coach. Sure. Um, I mean, there are guys who've, who've played for him in, in the organization that rave about him. Right? Guys who've had any time around him. He's going to be a – he is – he's a longtime baseball guy. He's watched a ton of games from the dugout just like John Schneider did, but Casey also played in the majors and he brings a whole ton of experience. And I, I think, I think that's another guy that Candell and Schneider, I think is going to be in it. The dynamic there is going to be really interesting. And, that, I, and I think John, and you know, John better than I do, but knowing what I know of John, I think he's, I think that relationship is going to be terrific for him. I think he knows he doesn't know everything. Yes. And if you can bring a guy in here, that's been there a little longer than you have. And has seen been different through things. everything and knows, you know, what you have to work with. How do you get through it and still compete and give yourself the chance to win a baseball game? I can only help. Dan Shulman is our Blue Jays voice on Sportsnet. Jeff Passan is a national baseball reporter for ESPN. He broke the uh, 
fact that the Kansas City Royals have almost half their team unvaccinated and won't be in Toronto. Those two gentlemen will join us in the next hour, and I've also got Blue Jays tickets to give away. It's Blair and Barker, Sportsnet 590, the fans, Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your favorite podcast.